Morning, everybody. Everybody strapped in? <laughs> so today, uh, we're going to be covering uh, a sensitive topic. I've been uh, warning you for the last couple of weeks. Today, we're going to be joining with churches around the world, um, talking about the, uh, the, the importance of biblical sexuality. And um, for those of you watching online, uh, if uh, I know this has been advertised uh, quite a bit. So YouTube and Facebook are very well aware this is going on all around the world, and there'll be tens of thousands of churches streaming this. So if ever we were going to get shut down um, online, today would be the day. I'm hoping that we're small enough to kind of skirt underneath it, but algorithm, algorithms don't care. They just look for language. So if you're watching online and this stream stops, I do apologize. We'll make it available at some point in time in some way. Um, but just so that you're aware of that, uh, that's of good possibility for today. So, you guys know I'm not a subtle person. I've, I've never been just, I've never been uh, accused of being subtle or, or someone who beats around the bush to, to, to get to a point. Um, but just so that you know, this particular subject, when we talk about um, uh, sexuality, sexual immorality, it's not something that bothers me. It's not something that um, I, I'm not like, you know, he, he, he would use that word, you know, I, I don't care. Um, it's a natural part of life. It's, you know, you're all here because of it, <laughs> just so that you understand that. You have kids because of it. It's, here you go. Uh, you know, this is, this is something we should be okay with talking about. Uh, it doesn't mean we should be shouting it from the rooftops and things like that, but it's not a subject we should be shying away from because when we do, where we are today is what happens. When we don't control, when, when the people of Christ don't control a conversation as important as this one, the devil will. Okay? He will. It's, it's just that important. So as we're talking today, just something to remind you about, because we don't have kids' church this month, um, if any parent wants to use the, the nursery uh, back there, it is open. There just needs to be a parent back there. And the TV, if you put it on, I think it's HDMI 1 or 2, it'll broadcast the service. Um, so if at any point in time you feel, maybe I'm going to step in the back, that's fine. Uh, I'm going to do my best to be not um, as overt as I could be. Um, I think you understand what I'm saying there, um, but there are only certain words that you can use when you're talking about this particular subject, so here we go. Um, so first off, is this a message about uh, you know telling Christians to hate anyone that doesn't agree with us? No, absolutely not. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. An important thing to remember when we're talking about a subject as important as this is, is uh, especially when with the... the uh, uh, the, the homosexual and, gen, and um, uh, trans community. Here's something you need to remember. God loves the homosexual and the trans community. He does. He loves them just as much as he loves you. And in the same way. If you think about 2 Corinthians 5, 19, it says, For God, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Now listen to this. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. See, God didn't come just for the good. He came for people who were stuck in sin. That's the whole point. So we can't separate ourselves because we're not involved in a sin and put those who are involved in a sin in some category of untouchable. Because God saves people out of that lifestyle all the time. You just don't hear anything about it because no one wants you to know that you, know, you actually have a choice in this process. So this tells us that God welcomes with open arms everyone, no matter what sin they're stuck in. Now, that being said, being welcomed into the church of God is not, being, is not the same as being righteous before God. Those are two very different, different things. And that's the importance of this message. God accepts everyone, but that, that doesn't mean he's going to declare you righteous and welcome you into heaven. It doesn't mean that your sins are forgiven. It just means you're welcome. You're welcome to come in and, and meet a loving God, to meet a righteous God, and have your sins forgiven, but there's a process involved. If you think about this, Romans 3, 21 through 23 says, now, uh, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. 
Now listen to this next one, Romans 5, 12 through 13. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Listen to this next part. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. But it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Now, that's not saying that what they did, that that sinning in ignorance is okay. That's not what he's saying. He says, we don't look at it as sin because we didn't know that it was breaking the law. But God still called it sin. And what that tells us is that sin is not a state of mind. Sin is not violating something you're perfectly aware of. Sin is violating what God has declared right and good, whether you know it or not. I was driving through South Carolina once as when I was in college on my way to my work-study program on Hilton Head Island, and I passed this little town, and what I didn't see was their 850-year-old speed limit sign that couldn't be read by... It looked like it might, have, it might as well have been written in Braille. It didn't matter. I still got pulled over. I still got a ticket. Why? Because I was violating a law even though I didn't know it. Ignorance is not an excuse for doing the wrong thing. So this is very difficult. This can be very difficult for us. But check this out. Luke 24, 47 says, it is also written that the, that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. There's forgiveness of sins for all who repent. God desires that all would come to him, but that all would come to him in repentance. In repentance, aware that we are a sinful people, whether you believe it or not. Now, you might think that your little cherub is totally sinless until one of them gets a new toy. And then you realize that we're all a sinful people. And one of your kids is about to bash the other kid over the head with the truck that they wouldn't give up. You know, we are all flawed. We are all sinful. And if we refuse to admit it, that makes it even more difficult. It is the reality of our existence that we as a people are separated for God because of sin. We are in a prison of sin in this world. This world is a prison of sin. You cannot escape it. And we cannot escape it because no matter what we're doing, we need Christ to bridge that gap for us. All humanity of all time, all places in the world, doesn't make any difference how old you are, how young you are, how good you are. Without Christ, you're still separated from God. If you think about this, if you go through your entire life doing nothing wrong, you are a perfect person. You're still not good enough. You still fall short. Of the glory of God because Christ is required to bridge the gap of sin between creation and creator. It's just that simple. When people say, well, there's many roads that lead to heaven. No, there's not. There might be many roads that lead to Christ, but Christ is the only way to heaven. It's the only way to get our sins forgiven. There is no other way. So the purpose of today is to help bring attention to a very real issue that's in our world today that is sadly being endorsed by churches that have let go of biblical authority. And yes, there are many churches and denominations around the world who have let go of biblical authority in order to gain societal acceptance. And that's sad. It's an issue that's been embraced by society as they embrace every and any type of sexual expression. I'll give you an example of that. I don't know how many of you saw this article. This was in, I think it was the New York Post. It was one of those publications anyway. A USA Today. The complicated research behind pedophilia. So there's been an effort going on in our country for close to a decade now to normalize pedophilia. And what they're saying is you can no longer refer to someone as a, uh, as a pedophile. They are minor attracted individuals. It is messed up. It's extremely messed up. But you see, this is what happens when we allow society to control the conversation around sexuality. You see, when anything goes, then anything goes. And you can't say that one type of sexual expression is wrong, but other ones are right, 
at some point you have to embrace all of it, no matter how disgusting it is. And society claps, says, so brave, so brave. No, it's not brave, but it's also very human and very sinful. Our governments have been embracing it by legislating the proliferation of immorality to kids. We'll get a little bit more to that later. Um, Passing laws at the same time to limit society and parents' ability to push back or even to teach biblical principles of sexuality. What I'm going to share with you today is considered hate speech in most of the world. This is considered hate speech. Most of what I'm going to share today, I'm simply going to read the scriptures. This is considered hate speech. This is what we were promised was going to happen by our Lord. Now, obviously, we can't cover everything today. This is a monstrous topic. But what I can do is lay a foundation that I think we can build on, that you can build your understanding on, and give you some tools that I think can be useful in conversations that you're having outside of the church in regard to this topic. So first, we have to start off with something really simple. What do we mean by biblical sexuality? In plain language, biblical sexuality is this, approaching the topics of sexuality, gender, marriage, and family in a manner that is fully consistent with the teachings of Scripture. That's biblical sexuality. It's not simply sexual intimacy. Biblical sexuality encompasses a wide range of things, and you have to start with marriage because that's where it's supposed to exist. Sexuality is not supposed to exist, as far as as sexual intimacy anyway, outside of the covenant of marriage. Supposed to be inside the covenant of marriage for a very specific reason. It's because marriage and family is the foundation of our world and the foundation of the church. So God values it immensely. So, in order to talk about these issues of sexuality, we have to ask the initial question. And that question is Does the Bible speak on these issues in a manner that allows us to say that we have a clear path that we can and should follow? On these topics, is the Bible clear enough? So that we can say we have an absolute path that we can and should follow. That's an important question. Because if you just say, well, my pastor said this is wrong. That's not good enough. That's not good enough. You need to be able to quantify that belief with the word of God. And as Christians, this is our job. This is our job to the world. If we can't explain to people why we believe what we believe, then we have to question whether or not we actually believe it. Because if the only reason why you believe is because it might have come out of my mouth, you're sorely deficient. (laughs) We should be getting it from book, chapter, and verse. It should be because God says it, not because any particular minister says it. So let's look at marriage first. You cannot talk about sexuality without discussing marriage. So check out these passages. Genesis 2, 24 says, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united as one. Matthew 19, 3 through 6, Jesus having a conversation with the Pharisees. He says, some Pharisees came and tried to trap him in this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife just to, uh, for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. Come back to that later. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. How about Hebrews 13.4? Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God surely will judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Okay. Marriage is not a government institution. Marriage has nothing to do with the federal or state governments. They have no say in what marriage is because marriage is a God-provided, God-ordained institution. What the governments have done is they have conscripted that title and they've taken authority over it because we've allowed it. And they've, they've basically put this, this same title into society as though it's something they control. This is the issue. Is marriage a, a covenant between a man and a woman and God? Or is a man, or is a, a, a marriage simply a contract between two people and the state? These are two very different things. You see, a marriage is a, is a covenant agreement between a husband, a wife, and the Lord. That's what marriage is. And it's one man, one woman, period. 
There is no other definition of marriage. Now, our governments have, through legislation, declared other pairings to be acceptable as marriage. Here's the truth about this. There's nothing we can do about this. There is nothing you can do to stop a godless government. And I say that with plain language. We live in a country with a godless government. Our government fears man. They do not fear God. They fear their, their, their election status for their, for their re-election more than they fear the standards of God. So we have a godless government. There may be godly people in government, but we have a godless government. It's, it's pretty plain. All you have to do is look at the, uh, the amount of effort put into allowing and celebrating abortion, and you can tell we have a godless government that fears nothing other than the people voting for them. But the issue that we should be looking at is not whether or not they call it marriage. If the government wants to recognize a union for the purpose of property, insurance, medical power of return, and things like that, they have the right to do that. If you want to marry a dog and you want to make sure your dog is taken care of and you're going to leave all your money to them, fine. You have the right to do that. It's weird, but, you know, whatever. The issue that we face is not that it's recognized. The issue is that it's celebrated. See, the issue is not that our government recognizes those unions. People have the right to pair off with whoever they want. That's their choice, and they have to stand before God for that. The issue is that it's celebrated. It's, it's turned into, a, 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 you know, oh, look how wonderful this is. And the issue that the gay community has with the true Christian church, you're going to hear me say that a lot today, the true Christian church, is not that they can't get married because they can. They can. There's no one standing in the way of that. The issue that they have is that we won't celebrate it with them. That's the issue. You're telling me that my marriage to someone of the same sex that I am is not right before God. Therefore, you're a hateful person and you should be censored. That's their issue. That we won't celebrate this act with them. That lets you know that they truly understand that they will stand before God. And what they don't want to be reminded of throughout their life is that their entire existence is going to lead them to judgment. That's the problem. See, sin, judgment, and hell are nothing that we can celebrate. There's nothing, we can't celebrate that. Taking a gift from God, which is what marriage is, and celebrating it being used in a way that will never be acceptable to God is something the true Christian church simply can't do. We can't celebrate that union any more than we would celebrate an abortion. Could you imagine that? Yay, look how amazing that we can't do that because God has condemned it. It doesn't matter how much you like the person. It doesn't matter how much you care about the person. You may truly love that person. You can't celebrate that life. We can't. Pick any other sin that you would celebrate and throw a party with. Literally throw a party and invite, and invite hundreds of friends. Pick another sin that you would do that you wouldn't. Why? Because we know that it's wrong before the eyes of a righteous God. God has a plan for marriage. And it's one man, one woman for life. Period. That's it. There's no other right way to do it. This doesn't mean that we don't love and care about these people, because we do. But we can never celebrate what God condemns. It doesn't matter how much you care about them. In fact, if you really cared about their soul, you wouldn't celebrate their sin. You wouldn't stand on the side of the road picketing it either. But you can't walk down that road with them. So let's move on. What about gender? I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here for obvious reasons. Genesis 127 says this. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male 
and female, he created them. He didn't create an O or a one or a Y or a Z or a the or a the or the, uh, whatever the hundred million billion different gender assignments that Facebook has on their list now that are so ridiculous. My favorite one is gender fluid. Really? The argument that is being made is really simple. It is that actual gender, actual gender can change. That's the argument. That actual gender is malleable. That you may have been born male, but at some point in time you decided that you are a female trapped in a male's body. Now I find this very interesting for one specific reason. That in order to actually have that belief, you have to believe that your true self is immaterial and exists outside of your body. Which is a Christian belief, not an atheist belief. And the gender argument is an atheist belief. So you have to believe that there's something that is immaterial and eternal about you. And somehow during the cosmic co- uh, concept of birth, you were shoved in the wrong physical body. That's a core component of this entire argument. Now that has to, you have to ask the question, what happens to that part of you after your physical body dies? Are you accountable to anything or you just go off into the ether of the universe? But the argument is that they are factually the other gender. Just in the wrong body. So in essence, you can be a boy trapped in a girl's body or a girl trapped in a boy's body. And the same claim is made to someone who is gender fluid. That throughout the day, their gender bounces back and forth. That they wake up a girl. By lunch, they're a boy. By dinner, they're a girl again. And heaven help them, I don't even know where it goes from there. I've heard, now we we laugh about this, but I I really want to encourage you not to laugh about this. Because this is a serious issue. But I've heard testimonies from teachers who have students who basically declare themselves gender fluid. And the teachers, now pay attention to this, the teachers are disciplined by the school administration because a student comes in in the morning and decides they're a girl. By second period, they're a boy. By lunch, they're a girl again. And in gym, they're a boy again. And by the time they go home, they're a girl again. And the teachers are supposed to have any idea. What does their shirt magically change color from pink to blue? These are professional adults, highly educated, who are being disciplined because a kid who probably a week ago thought they were a tractor can't figure out what gender they are today. And this is being supported by all areas of society and government. This is insanity. But it's one of the biggest hot-button political arguments of our time. As much as I would love to really take apart this entire thing, I'm going I'm to be kind um, because... As I was writing my notes, I realized that if I continued, I wouldn't be kind, uh, and I don't want to be that way. I find the entire argument to be socially, morally, and scientifically reprehensible. And any government official or person who is actually celebrating this needs to go see a therapist, because this is insanity. It used to be called gender identity disorder, now it's called gender dysphoria. Um, And there used to be successful treatment for this. There was an organization out in California that had almost a 100% success rate in treating this because it was a diagnosed, and still is today, a diagnosed mental disorder. That organization's research has been suppressed. You can no longer find it. It is not even available to psychologists anymore because no one wants to talk about the ability that you can treat this issue. Because it is not politically expedient to treat an issue that is now politically beneficial to one specific side of the aisle. Meanwhile, people are being hurt left and right. And kids are being mutilated. They're taking puberty blockers and basically hurting themselves. The stuff that they're allowing these kids to do is insane. You have parents who are scheduling gender reassignment surgery for five-year-olds. That kid was a horse last week, a tractor the week before, and he's supposed to know enough to be able to decide what 
to change his gender for the rest of his life. This is child abuse. But this is the world that we live in. Now, unfortunately, this issue is not alone in its lunacy. It has spawned multiple other uh, applications of the, uh, uh, the trans movement. And that's the most disturbing one. And, and please understand, I'm not making this up at all. It's called the trans species movement. This is a spinoff of the transgender movement. And these are people who believe that they are not even human. They're animals trapped in a human body. These are a couple of examples. These are people who fully believe and live their life as though they are a dog, a cat, an elephant, a rhinoceros. Uh, There's a guy in Russia who thinks he's a giraffe. The guy dressed as a dog, that's not a Halloween costume. That's what he wears every day. His wife walks him, feeds him on the floor, and he walks on all fours. The girl to the uh, dress as a cat, I believe she's somewhere in Russia. She has lived this way her whole life. As far as I know, she was looking to have surgery to reconstruct her to look like a cat. These are things that society is not simply aware of. They've embraced fully and are endorsing and even promoting in schools. You need to find out whether or not you're a Labrador. No, you don't. It's important when we see stuff like this, because it's disturbing. At first, you might giggle it off, but it's incredibly disturbing how well-received this stuff is in our society. I told you last week about the guy who thought he was not only a female, but a female deer, was hired by a gaming company to to monitor their, their social interaction on their web platform, as if that person has some sort of, you know, sensible judgment. You guys remember the 60-year-old, uh, 60-something-year-old man who decided he was a six-year-old girl and a couple in their 40s adopted him so that he could live out the rest of his life as a six-year-old girl. And these are people who aren't even being asked to seek psychological help. They're being told that they're perfectly normal, everything about them is fine, and society should just completely embrace this. Matter of fact, it's so good, we should teach this to children. This is unbelievably disturbing. And if you try to help these people, you get fined. You can spend time in jail in Canada now. That's that's the process. And it will be coming to this country. To understand this, this is coming to this country. The issue is not that it's in being not that it's happening. Stuff like this has happened all through time. The difference now is we're celebrating it. You see the symmetry? We're celebrating this type of sexual immorality. Okay, so let's get to the other big one, intimacy. Intimacy can be broken up into two small groups, acceptable and unacceptable, and we need to understand both. If you look at 1 Corinthians 7, 2 through 5, it says, but because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband. The husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a time, uh, for a limited time, so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterwards, you should come together again. Now listen to this. So that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Hmm. I think Paul's on to something. This is a normal and important part of life. And you can't just let it go. There are two very important words in this passage, and that's husband and wife. That's where intimacy belongs, husband and wife. Sex is a normal part of the bonds of marriage, and it should be. It's not something to shy away from, and it's not something that should be avoided talking about. As a married couple, you should talk about your sex life. And as a family, you've got to make sure you're the one having this conversation with your kids because your kids are going to learn about it somewhere. 
Who do you want them to learn it from? New York State Department of Education? You got to remember, New York State government can't add. Okay? They still think Cuomo did a good job. And they still think New York's a great place to open a business. Okay? You want them teaching your kids about sexuality? Really? Proverbs 2, uh, 22, 6 says, Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Who is he talking to? Parents. The your there is parents. Your children are your responsibility. When you stand before God and God says, what happened to your children? And you say, I don't know, it was the public school. It's about the equivalent of Adam standing in front of God saying, it was the woman you gave me. It didn't work for him. It's not going to work for you. When you are married, especially as a husband, you have agreed before God to take responsibility for your wife and for your children and for the raising of that family, period. You're responsible, no one else is responsible, and you will stand before God and give an account for what you have done and what you have not done and what you have allowed to happen, even though you knew about it and did nothing. Let me give you an example. Uh, This is going to be fine. Our local school had some people come in and give a, give a display of, I'm just going to say, sexually immoral issues. And it was done without parents knowing. People got mad. That's not my issue. Here's my issue. At the next school board meeting, no one showed up. No one. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a saying that I think is absolutely correct. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to, is to act. When you know this is happening as a parent, and you know it's affecting your children, and you do literally nothing, you are just as responsible as the people bringing those people in. And society will pay the price for your silence. Can I say that again? Society will pay the price for your silence. Your kids don't work for the school board. You don't work for the school board. You pay them. They work for you. The government officials work for you, and we've forgotten that. I think most people don't even care because they don't even want to think about their child's education. They want someone else to do it because they have other things to do. They're your kids. They're you. I see that roof even fainted. (laughs) They're your kids. They're your grandkids. I'm still trying to figure out, I'm, I'm here in the community, I don't have kids. I'm significantly disconnected from the school, but I also represent a large body of people in the community, and I'm trying to figure out for myself, and I've been going back and forth with this a lot, is it my place to go in there and defend something that the parents won't defend? I don't understand it. Let me hopefully snap you back to reality here a little bit. This is a bill, Senate Bill S2584A. It was brought to the, to, the, uh, to the Senate by, what's her name, Samra Brooke from Rochester. This, is, this bill has been, is not law, and it keeps getting voted down, but it has come to the floor of the New York State Assembly three times since 2017. The bill is to, to bring federal and New York State Board of Education sexual orientation instruction starting in kindergarten. I won't even read what they want to teach your five-year-old in kindergarten. Most parents don't even know this exists, but they think, oh, but it got voted down. Folks, listen to me and please listen carefully. This bill has been brought forth 
three times since 2017. That means that someone in the state assembly is holding on to it, waiting for the right legislative body to make it pass. This is not going away at some point in time. If we continue to do nothing, this will become law and this will be what your kids are going to be exposed to. I'm going to leave this up here in case anyone wants to read it. I downloaded this from newyork.gov. This is the actual bill. It is unbelievably disgusting that this is happening. But what's worse is that no one's talking about it. See, because once it's law, you can, you can stomp your feet all you want. No one cares because they've got it at that point. They've made their, they've made their point. It's happened, moving right along. Who do you want teaching your kids about acceptable sexuality and sexual intimacy before a holy God? The state or you? And how serious are you about it? I'm hoping the next time there's a school board meeting, you'll make your seriousness known. Don't be obnoxious. Don't be an idiot. But make yourself known, please. Now there's unacceptable sexual intimacy. Historically, when a society turns sex into nothing more than a physical transaction, which is what it is now, when there is no longer an emotional or spiritual value to sexual intimacy, God responds in a very predictable way, and you see it constantly throughout Scripture. Check this out. Romans 1, 25 through 28 says, They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served things that God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Now listen to this. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even women turned against natural ways to have sex and instead indulged sex with each other. And then men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Listen to this. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, this sin, They suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, God abandoned them to their foolish thinking, listen to this last line, and let them do things that should never be done. Anyone who doubts that the Bible is very clear on this doesn't read the Bible because it's very clear. That last verse should be an eye-opener to everyone. And if you're wondering why things are going so bad in our nation, there it is. Because we have abandoned the truth of God for a lie. This doesn't mean that Christianity has lost the battle. But if we simply take a look at our governing bodies, there's a collection of godless men and godless women with a few believers mixed in. And they're doing their best. Those believers are doing their best to plug the leaks in the dam. But the more silence they hear from God's people out in the community, the harder their job's going to be. We're way too quiet on these things, folks. Way, way too quiet. When it comes down to sexual lifestyles, the Bible is very, very plain. Do not practice homosexuality. Having sex with another man as with a woman is a detestable sin. Anyone have a doubt on what that means? You shouldn't. As much as society wants to embrace all lifestyle choices, God does not. People have the right to live however they want, and that means if someone wants to live an alternative sexual lifestyle, that is their choice, and they will have to stand before a holy God and give an answer for that choice. It also means that if someone wants to live a a lifestyle committed to the biblical truth and biblical sexuality, that is also their choice. Society may hate us for it, but we do not answer to society. We have a king that we stand before. Now listen to this. Judges 21-25 says, In those days, Israel had no king, and all the people did whatever they seemed right in their own eyes. See, people do whatever they think is right when they don't have an authority above themselves. If the legal code is your only authority, then whatever society or the, the legal code says you can get away with, you will. But that's not what it is. We answer to a higher authority. We have a king, and we answer to that king. Romans 10-9 If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. What are we declaring Jesus as? Lord. Another word for that? King. 
He wins. If we're saying that Jesus is Lord, then we do have a king, and it is our responsibility to follow that king and his word. Listen to this from Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. I love the way that the NLT says this. Those who actually do. You know that being aware of the law and being aware of what's good does not, it's not the same thing as doing it. Let me give you an example. The devil knows that Jesus is Lord. <laughs> He's still not saved. The devil knows that he's already lost. He still does what he does. Knowing is not the same as believing. We all know what the speed limit on anyone is. Right? How many of you still time yourself going to Syracuse? But it's okay because we know where the cops sit. Right? Oh, got to slow down. Coming up to that point where I might get caught for doing that thing that I've been doing the entire time. There's a difference between believing and doing. Society is pushing us to conform to their standards of right and wrong. But the answer for the true believer is no. We can't. Right and wrong is not declared and is not true because society wishes it to be true. Right and wrong, as we heard before, people sinned against God even though they didn't know it was a sin. Right and wrong is a matter of him, not us. It's a truth beyond us that we have to apply ourselves to. That's why the Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because God's serious about this. We will be judged according to this whether we believe it or not. But God's nice and he's loving. Yes, he is. He's also just and fair and righteous. Our desire should be to do what's right. Not only to do what's right, but to do what's righteous. But we must also be cautious and not to let loose our condemnation on others too quickly. We will be judged just as they are judged. Listen to this, Romans 2, 1. It says, you may think you can condemn such people, but you're just as bad and you have no excuse. Here's what that passage is saying. You may think they're going to stand condemned before a righteous God, but you know what? You may also, and you know the truth, you're still not doing it. Yikes! So Paul is saying, get your own house in order. Just like Jesus said, pull, this, pull the tree log out of your own eye before you start going after the splinter in somebody else's eye. Clean your own house first. You can't help anybody if you won't help yourself. It's like, can you imagine going into a gym and you set up an appointment with a personal trainer and a person comes out and they're 1,250 pounds and they've got a box of 18 Dunkin' Donuts in there, whole face is covered in sprinkles and chocolate? <laughs> Taking fitness advice from them? I bet that's how a lot of us look when we're giving spiritual advice to other people. You know, as we're licking our Holy Spirit fingers. <laughs> Not the way that we're, sorry. It's a horrible image. <laughs> but you get it, okay? Um. <laughs> All right, let me read you a couple of passages from the book of Revelation, and then I'm going to wrap this up. The book of Revelation gives us a clear passage, uh, a clear picture of how God is going to judge things at the end days. And he writes these letters to these churches. And these churches, some of them are doing really great things. But God usually says, I have a couple of problems with you. Listen to how this gets worded. This is Revelation 2, 12 through 16. It says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is a message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. He says, I know that you live in the city uh, where Satan has a throne. Yet you have remained loyal to me. He's praising them for their loyalty. You refused to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you uh, there in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. This is God talking to a church that he just praised for their loyalty. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak um, how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. 
In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teachings. Repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. How about this one? Write this to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is a message from the Son of God whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. I know all the things you do. I've seen, listen to this, your love, your faith, your service, your patience, uh, your patient endurance, and I can see your constant improvement in all these things. But I have this complaint about you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Think God's serious about this? Revelations 22, 14 through 15. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat... Uh, eat the fruit of the tree of life. This is entrance into heaven. Outside the city are dogs, the sorcerers, the sexual immoral, the sexually immoral are outside, the murderers, the idol worshipers, idol worshipers, all who love to live a lie. The lie they're living is that they think God agrees with them. When you hear people say, I know people are saying that the Bible is clear about this on immorality, but they might be wrong. You know, there are some theologians who say the Bible doesn't call homosexuality a sin, doesn't call sleeping with someone you're not married with sin, doesn't call trading around partners on Tinder like they're playing cards a sin. There are people who don't think that that's a sin. Really? I think that's the Jezebel who's teaching people to commit sexual immorality. Because God's pretty plain about it. None of this is within our control. And our personal desires and our personal feelings and our likes and our dislikes are irrelevant to the conversation. God has set the parameters for sexuality, gender, marriage, and family, and sexual expression. They're his. It is our responsibility to commit ourselves to him. Not to society, not to our government, not to our friends, not to our family members who have decided to live a lifestyle that will be condemned by God. I've watched over and over again as church leaders had a stance on biblical morality until someone close to them Turned. Then suddenly they found a way to make them acceptable because they couldn't bear to condemn their own family members. Let me say this carefully. You don't have to condemn your family members. They already are. They stand before a holy God, unrighteous in his eyes. We don't have to do that. Our job is to help them see that there's another way. So don't focus on the condemnation. Focus on leading them back to the truth. That's our job. John Barone used to say it this way. We catch him, he cleans him. Some of you have no idea who John Barone is, but that's fine. He was a spiritual giant who had a heck of a grip. In his one hand that worked, he had a stroke and half his body didn't work. But if he wanted you, he'd reach up with his cane and pull. He didn't matter how big you were. He'd just pull you, pull you right down. I don't remember where it was, but it was a prayer meeting once. This is completely off topic, but I got talking about John, and John's an amazing person. He's, he's there, and he's this little guy. He's, he's shorter than me, so that should just tell you everything you need to know about how big he was. He walks up to this guy at a prayer meeting, grabs his cane. Some of you may have actually been there. He says, pulls the guy down. He's an Italian. He goes, get saved, I'll kill you. The guy goes, okay, John. Gave his life to the Lord. <laughs> That's evangelism right there. <laughs> Here's the thing. The true Christian church does not hate those who are stuck in a sexually immoral lifestyle. We have no hate or no malice towards them. But the reality is we cannot celebrate their life. We cannot endorse their life. We cannot embrace their choice. 
because we serve a righteous God who has a plan for sexuality, sexual intimacy, gender, marriage, and family. And we're committed to his path and his path alone. All those on the outside are going to stand before a righteous God condemned. There's nothing we can do about that. But while we're here, we can make a point to try to reach these people with the truth of forgiveness from a holy God. It's up to them to take it. It's up to us to bring it. You understand? How will they hear if someone doesn't, doesn't tell them? You know, we've, we've got to go. This goes back to the same thing I said at the beginning. We are way too quiet. We're way too quiet on these things. We spend too much time trying to bring people to church so they can listen to the pastor when really they want to hear from you. The community needs to hear from you. The school board needs to hear from you. I'm going to jump out and pray for you. And we'll see what God does. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for what you're continually doing. You set a standard for us, a standard of righteousness, a standard of truth. And we say yes to that standard. We say, yes, Father, I will follow you in this process. Lord, your plan for sexuality is clear in your word. Give us the strength to not only live it in our own life, but to help bring that truth to those caught in the sin of immorality, whatever that looks like. And help us do it with wisdom and with grace and with love and with compassion for the pit that they are stuck in. Help us to not be arrogant enough to constantly remind them of how sinful their life is, but help to reach a hand down, to pull them out of the sin that they find themselves stuck in. Help us to show them there's a better way and soften the hearts of the people we may be speaking with. Open their minds so they may receive the truth of your standards. We thank you for this. We thank you for the call. Lord, make us brave. In Jesus' name, amen.